Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Friday, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Indie Game Business. I am Indy, and the gentleman next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to Indie Game Business. We have Chris Hewitt, who, did I say that right? Hewitt? Hewish. Yep. You got Hewish. it. Hewish, who is the, the big boss over here at Exola. So, <laughs> so don't make him mad, because he'll come after you. <laughs> and I was just saying before we went live that we, you know, truly appreciate Exola. They've been, you know, one of our sponsors that have been with us since the very beginning uh, before anyone knew what the hell we were doing when we were talking about doing digital conferences. And they're like, but that's never going to work. Right. Apparently yeah, it did. So thank you so much. Um, also, we are sponsored by Tripwire Presents. Yes. We'd like to thank them as well. We, we love everybody. So, Chris, let's let's start with like my favorite question always. Tell us how you got into the industry initially, and then walk us through your career up to this point. All right, Jay. Uh, well, I got into the industry really just through a love of games. I, as a kid, was lucky enough to move to a really small town up in uh, the freezing uh, region of Maine. And they had this game store in there called the Toy Soldier. And that was like my haven. And I spent every day after school, all my weekends there, you know, learned how to play board games, uh, historical miniatures, D&D, all of that. And also really got a good sense of, of game design and game theory and uh, was able to leverage that to get a job in the games industry. And from there, it's just been an awesome journey. Worked with a lot of really cool, smart people over the years and learned a lot of great lessons. Um, that first job in the industry actually was at one of the companies that still is one of my favorites, it's Games Workshop. And uh, that was that was a job, and, and that, that was a job that I got with kind of my first lesson, which was sort of passion will, will really carry you far, uh, you know, even passion over ability. And uh, that was one where I just, I loved the company, loved their, their product. Um, had no idea how to get a job there. So I, I sent them just a, a resume fresh out of college with a letter of recommendation from a fictional orc war boss. And they loved it. Uh, you know, I wrote this letter, like one of their orc war bosses, they loved it. They loved the passion and, and brought me in. And, and that's where things kind of took off. And so that was, a, that was quite a while ago. And from there, I went over to a, a games company called Microprose, got into the onto sort of the design track uh, with designing games. And that was another example of where I went in there, 
really didn't meet the qualifications of a game designer because I had never worked with computers or in, in with software. But I, I went in and I said, hey guys, I've, I know a lot about design and design theory and I've worked at Games Workshop. I'm willing to bet it's a lot easier to teach someone how to design, how to work with a computer, right? And about the software side of things than it is to teach them about the, just how to design games. And uh, they, they agreed and brought me in and that was awesome and, and got into producing after a while, went to Activision for many years, got into sort of the entertainment space or the, with uh, companies like DreamWorks and then ran a couple of studios, uh, Servios, Skydance Interactive, and then um, kind of went over to the dark side of, of B2B and that's where I am now with, with Ixola. Well, I mean, it's not completely the dark side. That's where I've been for 25 years. So, but no, but that's that, that's fascinating because yeah, I'm with you. You've actually hit on a lot of the companies that I loved growing up. You know, Games Workshop and especially Microprose. I mean, some of my fondest memories of high school, college was playing everything from the sieve through god knows i mean if, if it came out of microprose it's like i probably played it at some point in, in time i didn't mean sieve there was another one i was thinking of um well, yeah sieve was there and um oh man of course now i'm blanking right oh yeah same here it's like i can see that logo perfectly in my head but i cannot remember all the freaking games i know a lot of the flight simulators i played the hell oh out yeah of yeah f-15 strike eagle oh. Uh, on the flight sim side, there was Dark Rain, which was an early RPG, like a mid a historical slash fictional German Germanic uh, setting, uh, which was amazing. Um, and uh, and then there were a number of strategy games that came on after that. So, yeah, so there, there was a lot of fun stuff. So you're also you, you've hit in a lot of different areas of the industry. So it's like, yeah, I tell people, it's like I know a whole lot about the biz dev side of games, but that's pretty much the you know extent. I've done a little bit of design. I've done more producing and executive producing than I care to have ever done again. But being able to hit all these different disciplines gives you a very well-rounded view on the industry. So. Tell us when you started Exola and what the, why did you do it? What was the initial reasoning and emphasis behind it? Yeah, so I joined Exola. It's been almost three years now, and uh, the company itself has been around for, oh gosh, I think 16 years, 17 yeah. years. But it really saw a lot of, uh, it really kind of took off uh, about three, four, about three years ago, four years ago. Anyway, uh, what drew me to Exola is the fact that they're working at a, a scale, an entirely different scale uh, than I had experienced before, you know, either working on individual games or even a slate of games. Maybe I had 10 or 12, you know, games at any one time um, that I was kind of overseeing or working with when I was on more of the content creation and publishing side of it. But going over to Exola, we're working with thousands of games and we're doing that by helping them all go direct to consumer with uh, pay different payment solutions and all kinds of cool things, right? Being able to run your own uh, you know, online stores and e-commerce and all that fun stuff, which we can dive into later. But what was really cool is, as you said, you know, being able to have a career where I've touched all these sides of design and producing and biz dev and marketing and sort of publishing. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, there's a whole segment of this business that has been kind of 
been blind to, which is the commerce side of it. And coming over to Exola really has given me a chance to explore that and learn all about like different you know payment methods and global reach and just audiences around the world and and how many players there are out there that we just take for granted that aren't able to actually engage with your game because they they're not not that they're unbanked but they don't have like tier one banking right or they don't have a visa card or paypal account or something um and just being able to see these games just worldwide at scale is is really appealing uh and and honestly and you can appreciate this you've been in the industry long enough uh, at a certain point it becomes critically important to kind of work somewhere where there's no you know, there's a low sort of a-hole factor. So this is a company. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, look, you know, we don't have too much time left doing this. So I don't want to spend it with people I don't like. And, you know, uh, Exola has a lot of people I like, which is great. That, that is exactly one of the, my keys to working with, you know, whether it's clients on the Powell Group consulting side or, you know, folks at the conference or people in general. It's like, Life's too short to have to work with a bunch of people you can't stand. Um, right. I had a good friend of mine many, many years ago introduce me to the asshole tax. <laughs> and it's like if you're putting a bid in for something, and this was like contract work back in the day, and you know they're going to be a pain in the ass, yeah. you just tag on a little extra to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> what is that tax? Is that like 10%? It depends on how big of an asshole you are, Chris. <laughs> That's the... Um... <laughs> And, and whether or not I've had to deal with you in the past, I mean, it was, but I had never thought about that. And I was like, oh my God, that is absolutely brilliant. I love yeah. that. And um, so we still use it to this day. The, the commerce side is, is almost like the, the ugly duckling of even the BD side, which is always called the ugly duckling of game development in general. But, you know, as the industry is expanding and growing, I mean, yes, you're right. There are, millions of people out there who are gamers but they don't have a credit card or you know a paypal account so which markets are you seeing the most growth in in, in coming up to the industry markets that people don't typically you know think about when they look at games yeah that's, that's a good question when you know really you know, Latin America is an interesting one, right? Brazil is, is a classic market where there's a lot of gamers. Uh, but if you look at the app store, there's not necessarily a ton of revenue that comes out of it when you're talking mobile. Um, and that's partially due to the fact that a lot of them just don't have the standard, uh, you know, sort of financial tools that, that uh, we take for granted. Um, you know, you start to look in a lot of tier two countries, tier three countries in Southeast Asia, uh, sort of uh, Africa, you know, just other just other parts of the world uh, outside of your, your sort of e-figs kind of uh, English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, you know, that's, that's from the old translation days, right? When you're going to localize your game. Oh, yes. e-figs, right? I, <laughs> I very well remember e-figs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you get outside of that, you know, there are a lot of players and we, we estimate when even Japan for that matter, um, I was just talking with, with somebody the other, the other week and we were going through a number of countries and uh, a massive percentage of the, the players in a, in a country like Japan are using local payment methods that normally are not connected into uh, the different the different third party platforms that games get distributed on. So we, if you sort of aggregate that number worldwide, we're estimating, you know, somewhere between thirty and forty percent of the player base out there is simply unable to spend on your game, even if they want to. 
right? And uh, that's just easy money if you can really open up access to those players so that they can start spending on your game. Uh, it's it's just a it's a no brainer. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you hit like one of the big ones that that are always top of mind for me, and that that's in you know Latin America, Central America, South America. Because I was just down in in Mexicali for GammaCon, and fantastic you know group developers down there, big long track record in the industry of doing like contract work and art outsourcing and you know back end networking and things like that. But they don't have as many options for you know, original games that have come out of it. And so as a result, they don't, there's not this institutionalized knowledge that the rest of the world has been, you know, in the core of this for years have. And so anything that can get in there and help not only educate and support those teams, but get more, you know, players going on and things like that, because they are absolutely huge markets and you know, going back to the eFix thing, far bigger than like, you know, the Italian market or the Spanish market, what we always think of. But yes, I mean, the monstrous size um, industries down there. So, I yeah. mean, what sorts of things do you see as, as ways that we can help grow these areas? And I know because Exola does a lot of the, the investment, you know, support and things like that. There's a, there's a lot of things that you all do that a lot of people may not realize that you do. They just think of you as just that commerce company. Right. Um, but yeah, let's dive into that just a little bit. What, what are some of those other things that y'all been working on to help support communities like that, but also the industry in general? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. So, you know, first and foremost, we love to go to conferences and uh, we have a great team. We try to hit up as many of them as we can to go in person and actually meet developers, right? Face-to-face, -face, understand what their needs are and figure out how to help from there and whether it's us helping or us using our network of connections to help them. So, you know, when you ask how can how can people help, it's, uh, and I know we were talking about this right before the show, just, you know, traveling or even if it's digital or in person, but just really taking the time to meet with indie devs wherever they are and, uh, you know, just hearing what their pain points are, right? And finding ways to address those. And some of the ways that we're doing that is, you know, we love being involved in hosting contests or pitch sessions. I know you do a lot of pitch session work. You know, it's a great way uh, to get connected with people and give visibility, but at the same time, give feedback and help with networking. Uh, we've just recently launched a accelerator uh, program where we're, we're actually starting to fund uh, some some developers and, and bring them into more of a traditional accelerator kind of environment and connect them with with experts to help them uh, not just help with funding but help them grow their game and and, and get it along and get a good go to market strategy and all all of that. Um, and then we you know, we also help with things like trying to connect with funding. We have a good friend of both of ours, Justin Berenbaum, has been building this funding club at Exola for a number of years, and that's something we don't even financially benefit from, but we provide a matchmaking service where we talk, we could so we go to all these conferences, we talk with so many devs, we see really cool games and the ones that we think really have, you know, are interesting or the team is great. Uh, we'll bring them to the funding club, which is I think over 130 or 150 now publishers, investors, 
and we'll say, hey, here's kind of a pre-screened, you know, some pre-screened uh, games and teams. We think you should should talk, and then we'll step back from there and let all the magic happen. And um, then we have some other stuff that we're working on to just, again try to create a platform to connect indie devs with with uh, investors and and all of that. So, yeah, we we definitely have been busy on that front. Um, no, it, it is awesome that there aren't a lot of companies that do you know that sort of exposure for teams that need to get funding like like you and justin do with the funding club and you're not like taking a 10 15 whatever percent cut on the back end it's like no 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 no, we're legitimately just doing this to you know help you all along and, and help go and i think you know with the accelerator and, and let's talk a little bit more about that in general one of the things that we've always seen is you know, there's a lot of funds out there that are like, hey, we'll give you money, but that's it. They don't do, and, and you know, there's the old saying that's like money's cheap. Yeah. Yes, that's fantastic that someone's going to give you money to make your demo, to make your, you know, to self-publish or, or whatever. But if they don't have, you know, the, the feedback and the tools to help support, you know, these teams all through the process, I mean, it's not pointless, but you're basically, you're leaving a lot on the table. Tell us more about how that works and we can get into, you know, how people apply and all that sort of stuff. But do let's do a little deeper dive on that whole accelerator. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. So completely agree that whole concept uh, that people may or may not have heard of when it comes to investors and the types of investors that you bring in. You know, there's, there's a whole category of investors and no disrespect intended, money is great, uh, but the dumb money investor, right? And somebody who's just cutting a check and maybe they're gonna be a cheerleader online and, and post something about it, uh, but that's it, right? They, they aren't able to provide anything to help you with, with the business of your game, um, much less the creative or, or building a team or, or any of that. You know, if you go that route, you really are uh, sort of doing yourself a disservice because it's, it's, you got to think of like, okay, not just am I getting money, that's that's half of it, but what's the opportunity cost of that money? What am I leaving on the table, right? And, and you know, we're seeing, I think, especially as, as we head into this market now where money is starting to become maybe a little tighter or, uh, you know, there may be some more macro uh, trends that are, are making it difficult for companies to succeed. You know, it's more important than ever to get your financing from people that can bring more than just the money understand, you know, okay, what, what is it like to build a business? What, you know, what advice can we give when it comes to everything from business formation to, you know, the, the design of it or the produce production of it, um, help networking to get talent in. Uh, and then also, you know, really importantly, a lot of people never think about this because who, who wants to think about your, you know, having trouble with your startup or your company? But you know what? How is that investor or or that source of financing going to help you when things get tough? Right? If it doesn't go as planned, uh, you know, are they just going to be nowhere to be found and just you know pushing to try to get something out the door so they can tell their you know their investors that oh it launched and it failed and then we'll move on and we'll write it off? Or are they knowledgeable enough to say hey we've seen this we've got other companies we've worked with let's connect you with some other founders we're going to help you we're going to be there for you to help you. And that, that's really where we're coming from is, you know, how can we help people through all, all of that, right? And um, yeah. 
it, it, it's in many ways you see some of the investors and i'm with you i'm not going to put all of them because there are some fantastic folks out there and i know because i hang out with them and, and i see them at these conferences but there are some who almost have that publisher mentality from 20 years ago and it's like we're gonna let you do whatever you want to do but we're gonna invest in 20 games and we're gonna hope two of them pay for the rest you know the other 18. And that's harder and harder to do these days because it's one of those that's like you've got to keep putting out good titles along the way. And, you know, even in some of the pitch sessions that I've done lately, you can see there's this fine line between they have the money to make the game and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the game technically or anything else, but it doesn't have that little spark or that hook that's going to take it to the next level. And that's one of the things that we see, you know, so often. And so the more that folks can do to say, okay, look, here's some things that you can do along the way on the production side or the design side and be aware of these types of games coming out. That's, that's what really, you know, makes the difference. And I don't understand these investors that don't do it anyway, because if they don't give that sort of support, they're shooting themselves in the foot, you know, from the get go. Yeah, I mean, they really are. And, you know, it's like, I mean, it's, all, it's a little bit of, of kind of game theory and thinking about where, you know, what is their motivation and whatnot. It's, you know, is the is this investor's motivation just to kind of collect a fee, a management fee from the fund, right, that they're, they're running. And then once that fund is depleted, they'll turn around and raise another one. Or are they really looking at making a success right out of it? And they're looking at the, you know, the bigger opportunity of having successful you know, ventures come out of the, out of their fund. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's important stuff for people to ask. And it's really tough when you're raising money to see past just the check and really try to ask, well, what else are you, what's your motivation? You know, what, how can you help me? And um, you know, that's where we feel there's an opportunity for kind of an accelerator that we're, you know, have put out there and we've already funded a few, few uh, companies to get their games in there. And we've got such a good network of, of people now that we've worked with over the years. You know, it's like, well, let's let's tap that network to help developers, right? Not just have this great network for business development for ourselves, but let's open it up and really help help the indie community out there. And um, that's that's kind of where this is coming from. And then you talked about data and making smart decisions, and that's something else where it's like, yeah, we see. As I mentioned earlier, this is a great opportunity to see thousands of games, you know, see the industry at scale, different genres, different platforms, different markets. So let's start using some of that information to help companies as well make smart decisions uh, as, as they're making their games and their go-to-market strategies. It is, I, ha I had a thought there, Chris, and then it just completely floated straight out of my brain. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So... Are y'all getting in at early stage, late stage? What point do you all get invested in? Like, what's your, what's the sweet spot for the accelerator? Yeah, yeah, you know that's, that's that's a good question, Jay. And and what's cool is our our funding sort of um, arm of the company. We have kind of a business line called funding, and it has accelerator as part of that. So it's funding club. Um, we have uh, a tie. We, we kind of are connected with another with the VC a venture group uh, called Joystick Ventures. So really, what's cool is we can look at games at any stage uh, and then sort of direct them 
to the the sort of the channel that makes the most sense, right? And with with the accelerator, you know, it's it's really it's early stage, uh, and whether it's great concept or maybe even an early demo, but it's you know it's definitely early stage. And then how can we help you get going uh, from there? It's not you know it's not enough. It's not it's it's truly an accelerator. We're not funding enough to do like a full cycle development on your project. It's enough to get a great concept, get a demo together. Uh, you know, get something that you can take to then secure the rest of the funding that you would need, whether that's through these other channels that we have or out on your own or through the network, you know, whatever it is, the advisors that we're bringing to you, um, you know, through the accelerator. So. The, uh, yeah, we're very familiar with Joystick because we've had Yvonne and Marcella both on. I think before I left, those were the, the two previous podcasts. They're fantastic. And, and, uh, Yvonne was down in, uh, in in Mexico with us as well. So yes, and and again, it gets back to the whole working with people that you enjoy working with too, because they're just they're, they're just good folks. So if where does where do people go to get apply to the accelerator? Are y'all taking Excel? Or you're doing like cohorts at a time, or how is it all structured? Yeah, no, it's open. Uh, you know, we kind of have have a minimum commitment throughout the year, um, and. Uh, Gosh, I'm going to get the. I'm probably going to get the number wrong. I think it was about three million a year we're committing to. Um, could be, you know, could go up, could go down, whatever. But just through our website, through exola.com, x s o l l a.com, uh, and you can just direct from there. You can look at funding and accelerator, and you can find all of it. All right. And so now to, to go, you know, full circle, so to speak. You know, we've talked about the stuff that you all do to help, you know, developers find publishers, find funding, that sort of stuff. But you also have a bunch of tools that can help people self-publish and go directly to consumers. What's the difference? Who should be doing which route? It's good that y'all cover both, but how do you know which way to go? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. I mean, look, the 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 bulk of our our the business that we run, right? The thing that's actually keeping the lights on is our commerce side of the business, and that's the macro kind of bucket that all of these direct to consumer solutions uh, apply to. Funding is is the things that we had just talked about, and then and then companies, any company can can use our commerce uh, solutions. So, you know, if you had to say like, what is your your core value proposition? It is, you know, we're, we're helping companies go direct to consumer and uh, generate more revenue and uh, reach a bigger audience, right? And uh, also kind of take control of, of your, the business of your game. And uh, so we provide all these, I know those are like whatever general kind of <laughs> catchphrasey things, but we, we offer a, a pay station uh, sort of API that, can, that connects to over 700 different payment methods. And I'm not trying to sell us. There's other options out there. People can certainly do their research. Uh, but when I talked earlier about connecting to all these gamers that you know can't spend on games, you know that's something that we've really leaned into. And people might be shocked to, to learn that in, in a lot of countries, people are doing things like cash kiosks or prepaid cards or um, you know super apps or different social apps that they're all spending through and, and connecting to their games. So we, we connect into all of that. Um, and in fact, we just connected into uh, Alipay, uh, which is Alipay Plus, which is got, I think, a billion users throughout Southeast Asia. Um, so that's all cool. 
And uh, there's a bunch of other things. We handle, we have products that help you with subscriptions, with single sign-on for your users, a login system, uh, sort of a game launcher, website builder, all of that in-game store, uh, plug-in, and, and all this stuff that works in the back end, and you just plug it in, and, and now you can actually run that kind of through your game or through your site so wait so you're saying that google didn't pay you all 360 million dollars to not do your own app store like they did activision and somebody <laughs> else in the news this morning yeah you know i i don't understand jay they just don't seem to be that afraid of us man and i don't it's, 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 it's like, you know, every time Embracer launches a press release saying they bought all these companies, I call my buddy over there and I go, once again, I wasn't on that list. I don't know why you keep avoiding this. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, so, you know, we, we uh, you know, companies like Google and, and Apple and Steam, Epic Game Store, all the third party platforms, those are awesome. And, and we always, we are always telling people you should absolutely be launching your game there. They've got massive audiences, right? It's a great platform. Um, but at the same time, there's a whole uh, avenue of growth that people often forget about, which is going direct yourself. And, you know, I think we're seeing a, a significant uptick in the appetite to do that from uh, not just the big players, but but from, from all companies now, um, you know, whether it's mobile as a result of, of you know, uh, IDFA and, and APT making it much harder to acquire users, um, you know, if you're looking at lifetime value of your players and, you know, why would you acquire them and then just give them to a platform? Um, so there's a lot of stuff that makes sense to, to sort of bring them over and do, do your own uh, direct relationship with your players. And we can talk more about the benefits of all of that, regardless of how you do it. It's, it's just super beneficial. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, I literally had this conversation this morning with a, a longtime friend of mine in the industry. And, and we were talking about how, you know, we're almost accustomed at this point to developers not really thinking through their branding and their image and 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 this type of relationship. But we also see a ton of publishers that come out now that do the same thing. They have some, you know, wacky name and then there's no real, you know, theme behind what they're doing and, and all this other stuff. Talk a bit about why that branding and that relationship with the consumer is important because I, I think it, it does, it gets completely, you know, washed away and it's not something that everybody thinks of. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really important for, uh, I mean, for, for a few different reasons. Uh, one is discovery. Uh, we know that on going through third party platforms, the, the number of games that are launched every year, uh, it's just in, it's incredibly hard to get discovered, and uh, if you're going, if you're sort of building your own direct-to-consumer uh, presence or channel, then you really can can increase that discovery because you'll have an audience of players that know you, that you have a direct relationship with, that you can communicate with directly, and you can let them know that hey, here's a new game uh, that's coming out from us or through you know, from one of our our partners big update that's coming and you can engage in kind of a, a, a direct relationship and, and that is very very powerful from a, a retention or re-engagement standpoint and uh, it's also really powerful when it comes to monetization as well where you know you can really start to offer a whole host of options that you can't 
if you're sort of gated by uh, a platform, you know, that has its own idea of what should or shouldn't work, um, or they're trying to control the relationship themselves. Indie Game Business has one of the longest-running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. So if you're a publisher or a developer, whether you have one game or a slate of games, having that direct com connection to your community, you know, it's going to allow you to promote yourself better, right? Have more engagement whenever you release something new. And then uh, you can really ramp up just the, I mean, not just to be not mercenary about it, but really the, the financial side of it. So you can start to do things like offer bundles and uh, promotions or even custom pricing and uh, different higher price points on packages. Um, and that, that really starts to generate more revenue for you. And, and a case in point, we have this thing called web shop for mobile uh, games. And that's where we're helping mobile game companies put up a online presence as a new, a new sort of channel, right? Not, not to compete with the app stores, but it's a new, you know, kind of porting over to a new channel, but they can get online. And it's not just about throwing up a store, but you create an actual point of engagement with your players. And uh, you can offer, for instance, uh, on the App Store, the max price point on any, any item is like, nine, I think, $99. Uh, but you know, if you're doing it yourself, we've seen partners do $999 packages that get you know, bought up by their players. And, and uh, they're able to bundle different things together across either a single game or multiple games. That can't do necessarily on, on a third-party platform and that generates more revenue. So there's all these tools out there that are are really from an e-commerce standpoint that people can lean into if they're if they're going direct themselves. So building up the audience, building up a great connection, people know who you are, they can be aware of what you're doing, right? You can talk directly to them. And then you can really use all the power of e-commerce to to get the most out of that relationship. Yeah, and, and it's ridiculously important now because it's, you know, we always tell developers, it's like, prepare for the worst. I mean, wish for the best, but prepare for the worst. And, you know, some of these higher end, even mid-sized indie publishers, they see two to 3,000 games a year in, that are pitched to them. And they're going to take, what, seven? You, yeah. you know, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So, yes, as an indie, you should obviously be pitching and going and trying to find a publisher and, and all that sort of stuff, but you have to be able to have a backup plan as well. And it's, it's the age old rule. Don't go and reinvent the wheel. I mean, if, if these things are out there and they exist, then for God's sakes, use them. Um, all right. So I'm going to segue into a question we had from Facebook um, along the lines of building up your relationships and building up, you know, your communities and that sort of stuff. 
what do you see as the best way to go about recruiting beta testers for your uh, for your indie game? Yeah, it, gosh, that's that's that is a great question. Um, look, there's a couple of different ways. There's uh, there's the traditional route of there's there's companies and services that can help you with beta testers, but that's going to cost you money, right? Um, so I think the best way of doing that is early, 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 like even from the beginning when you're starting to think about building your game, uh, just start talking about it, right? It's it's really easy to get heads down and then realize far too late, like, oh man, I need to get out there and start talking about my game. Um, getting out there and talking about it isn't just about building up awareness for when it launches and for people to buy it, but you can build up that awareness and, and get a community of people that can start being interested in, in testing your game and beta testing it. And and it's, you know, it, you can do that without spending a ton of money. Uh, it just takes time, right? And, and find out where your audience is and, and that's another kind of point. And, and this is a point that goes for beta testing, but also for, for when you launch your game. Um, take the time to figure out where the audience for your game is. Too many times people, the same way you don't think about launching your game, you're like, oh, I'm just going to throw it up on a store and I'm done. It's like, well, you should think more about that. But also, you know, what channels are your players in? A lot of people just think, oh, well, they're on whatever. They're on this one social media. Maybe they're on Facebook or maybe they're, you know, on Twitch or, or Instagram or whatever, because I read that somewhere before. It's like, well, no, when early on, when you're starting to make your game, put feelers out onto these different platforms and see what feedback you're getting, which one's working, and then start a conversation and just start building up that relationship. And even if it's only a couple of people, you know, they can become advocates for you and start to grow. And, and it's that sort of, you know, K factor of a social, you know, from a social standpoint, get a couple of people that are really on board with what you're doing and they're going to bring more people in and that's a great way to start beta testing uh through that um and then you know going just old school friends and family you know just uh, you know don't be afraid to ask the people around you and uh, and start getting feedback i think a lot of times people get caught up in thinking that beta testing has to happen at scale and uh you know while there's certainly a, a place for that um even getting just a couple people to play your game and watch them playing it you know if you can do it in person or do it even you know uh, connect online and, and walk over zoom or, or whatever and, and watch them play and see how they react you can get a lot of valuable information so it's never too early to build a relationship with with players to leverage for beta testing and and start with you know start small and, and it'll grow from there I still keep thinking about that kid at Gamescom, and I forget who the developer was that tweeted it, that the kid went and played their game and then came back and played later, and they're like, oh, you like it? He goes, no, no, I'm just going around, and I'm playing all these games until I can break them, and he's like, okay, and he goes, why are you here? He's like, well, because yours is the easiest one to do that on, and I'm like... <laughs> You, there's two kinds of kids that you can get to help beta test. And one of them is the one that's going to tell you no matter what, that it's awesome. I love it. It's better than Fortnite. Those aren't the ones. It's the kid that likes to break your shit. That's the one that, you know, that's the one that you need. And it is, it's building that. So many of these developers get intimidated by, you know, just by saying marketing. It's like, oh, well, we'll do that once the game starts. It's like, well, no, you're done at that point. That's, that's too late. But you don't have to drop thousands of dollars in this stuff. Even, you know, simple 
KPI testing on Facebook can be done 50 bucks. I mean, you can get a number in there to see if things are, are happening or not. And so it's not something that you have to spend a ton of time every day on. But yeah, building up that community for not only for, you know, beta testing purposes, but also for just building those advocates are, you know, that that's some of the most important stuff out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, you know, you touched on something about that, that triggered a, a thought for me as well, which you talked about that fear, right? And, uh, of you know, when you talk about marketing and people get kind of, well, I want to wait till later. You know, one of the things that I used to always tell my producers and, my, and the teams that I would work with when it came to testing a game early, like beta testing it, even with a small, small group, you know, they, they, there would be a lot of resistance. And I'd say, look, you know, because they would say, well, it's not quite ready or I don't want to get negative feedback yet. And it's like, well, you know, I'd much rather get some negative feedback way upstream than wait until I launch the game. And that negative feedback is worldwide, right? You know, it's like, I'll take my lumps early when I can adjust and make some changes, you know, because that's what you want, right? You want sure. that kid who's going to try to break your game early. And, you know, yeah, it may suck, right, to get that feedback. But <laughs> when do you want that feedback? Because you're going to get it. You're going to get it sooner or later, right? That's so it. when do you want that to happen? Yeah, That's absolutely it. And, and so many times, and this was true on games that, you know, I produced and executive produced years ago. It's like you get so close to the game that you miss stuff that someone who's coming in new, you know, will catch. We were talking right before we went live about Heather, our friend and our wonderful program director for IGB now. And when she came on, she started pointing out things that were like on our Eventbrite page or our website. And she's like, why does it say this and not this? I'm like, I don't know. That's what we wrote. And that's what I've had, but I haven't, I, I am inv involved in this. I'm not, you know, I don't have the luxury of somebody with outside eyes when she came in and she's like, okay, we got to fix this. But that's the same thing. It's, yes. It's absolutely far better to get that brutal feedback early early on versus waiting until you're getting ready to launch and then you know you end up with that dreaded mixed review stage on on steam and that's not that's that's never ever good um so you've worked with obviously a lot of, of developers and publishers you see stuff coming through the pitch thing what do you think is the biggest mistake what is the most frequent thing that you see the devs doing wrong when they're looking for an investor or a publisher? Yeah, I, I would say for me, the biggest thing is not leaning into or not articulating or even not knowing what it is that is unique about your game. And uh, too often people focus on, they spend too many cycles working on stuff that is already a solved problem, right? And uh, instead of, you know, if, if I'm looking at, at a new concept or a new game, it's like, I, I don't need to see all the sort of secondary systems and, and mechanics and all of that. I, I, I get inventory systems, I get all of that. What's unique about your game, right? What is the, What are the, you know, one, two, three things that are gonna be real key hooks? You know, what are the difficult things that you're looking to solve or, or you know, unique things you're gonna bring to the table? Uh, that that is going to make this game stand out and you know and and how have you solved them or how are you going to solve them right don't don't waste a bunch of time doing all showing me all this other stuff that is already a solved problem and and 
every other game has, right? This, what I call the secondary sort of layer of, of, of game mechanics, you know, the, just the, the, the commodity level stuff, like really focus on what is it that's unique. And, uh, and you know, as we were talking about beta testing, not just what you think is unique, but I want to know that you've actually, you know, gone out and kind of proven that this is unique. You know, you've, you've either got a good sort of go-to-market message that can resonate with people and, and make them, you know, convey your hook right from your brain into people, you know, into a, in a way that people actually respond to. Um, and I don't mean a polished marketing campaign, but like, can you tell me? Can you not just? articulate to me over 20 minutes what's unique, but are, have you been able to distill it down to a, an elevator pitch that is like, okay, this makes sense. I'm responding to it. I can see other people respond to it. And, um, you know, I think that's that's just one of the things that a lot of people surprisingly don't spend a lot of time on. Yeah, I mean, you have to ask. I mean, it's, we look at games and, and whether it's a Metroidvania or, I mean, the, those and, and, and platformers in general tend to stick out because we sit down and we look at a game and it may look fantastic, but you always have to go back and say, okay, why is someone going to play this versus playing Hollow Knight or Celeste or something along those lines? And if you can't answer that, there's your first problem. Because that's one of the things that is absolutely so important. Because that's, that's the question that we're all asking. And you have to have it nailed down when you're dealing with you know, companies that are seeing two, 3,000 games a year and, and they only want to pick, you know, the very best, you have to be able to articulate that kind of stuff. Yeah, you really do. And, and you touched on something as well, which is often people confuse uh, articulating it with like, oh, okay, I've identified the genres and it's a mashup of this and that. There we go. There's there's my pitch. It's like, mm, okay, that that's a start. But now let's go a little bit deeper. What does that actually mean, right? And uh, and that's where that that kind of focus and really knowing the elements that you want to build. Uh, because also, you know, from at least from my perspective, if you if you don't have a real handle on what it is you want to build, um, then that's kind of a risk from a development and a production standpoint. Like, how much time are you actually going to? How many cycles are you going to burn trying to get to somewhere where you know? I'd rather come in and meet you when you're, you're already there, right? Versus, okay, you're going to spend all these cycles trying to figure out, you know, this hook that, that you might need because you just started with a genre match mashup. Uh, so just, you know, it's, it's, you don't have to have everything solved, but have an idea, right, of, of what it is that the game is going to be. And, and boil it down like our, our good friends over at Pitchigate do. And I know they just did. I, I hate it. I was like on the road that day. So I didn't get to like fully get involved in it. But yeah, if you can go on there and pitch your game in a single tweet, that's what you need to be able to do. Um, got a wonderful question from Indigo Doyle on uh Twitch. I had to think. I always get, I always want to say Twitter, but it's Twitch. All right. So. What are tips for first-time indie devs when you're going and you're pitching to publishers and investors? Is it better to start early or is that going to be a strike against you if you go in too early? I'm, I'm a believer that uh, you should start early, especially if you're new at it, uh, because it may not go well, but you're going to learn a lot and you're going to make connections and you can always come back to, well, I was going to say, you can always come back to an investor and pitch again, 
If they don't want you to come back, then you've also learned something that it's probably not somebody that you want to work with because, you know, it's just not a good fit. So I would recommend going early, uh, use it as an ability to hone, you know, your pitching skills, start to understand what it is that they're looking for. And honestly, you're going to be talking with some smart people that see, as, as you do, Jay, see thousands of games, and they're going to give you some, you know, really valuable feedback uh, that you can then take and reincorporate into, into your pitch and into your design so that you're that much stronger and you can come back. If it doesn't work the first time, you can always come back with a stronger proposition and you'll know what it is they're looking for. And, you know, this next, this example is kind of on a, on the bigger end with like, and equity firms and big, big money transactions, but it applies in this case to, to starting early with, with as an indie dev. Uh, something someone had told me, a really smart uh, banker had told me uh, a while ago was, you know, look, okay, you never want to be coming to uh, a, a VC firm or an equity firm looking for money and it being the first time you've talked to them. Because if you show up and say, hey, we're ready to do a transaction, you know, we want to raise $100 million or whatever it is, or, or in this case of an indie, we want to raise maybe 50000 or something or $10,000. Uh, you, if you show up for the very first time, these people don't know you, right? They, they don't understand who you are. They don't have a sense of, you know, who you are as a person or a team or what it is you're trying to do. Uh, so you're very, it's a very high uh, bar to cross at that point to actually get them to do anything. Uh, but if you've taken the time to get to know them, you've talked with them, you've maybe pitched them three or four or five times. Um, by the time you go, when you really have something, you're a known quantity. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, Jay, we've been talking for a year and you know, I've seen your progress and your resiliency. You know, I kind of beat you up on a few pitches and you've come back and, and listened and you've incorporated my feedback. That tells me a lot about you as a person. And and, you know, a lot of times people want to invest in the person just as much as they want to invest in the, in the idea. So start early, use it as a learning, uh, you know, a, a vehicle to learn and as a way to network and get everything lined up so that these people know you and then they are willing to write a check uh, when the time is right. And, and that is so, so important in this industry because despite the fact that it's a gigantic multi-billion dollar industry, it's still a very tight knit industry, you know, and so relationships matter. And that's what I tell you know, developers as well. It's like, yes, yeah, start early, but remember that the majority of that early work that you're going to do is going to be on relationship building, not necessarily getting the game published because that publisher or investor, you know, if you're a, especially if you're brand new, you, you haven't done anything, they're going to want to see some fairly advanced playable versions to make sure you can do it. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to wait until then. You just need to understand that that's when the decision is going to be made. But yeah, absolutely. Getting out there and talking to people and, you know, building those relationships from day one, because yeah, that's exactly all of this and, industry. And what so many people, especially the first, if they're first time, you know, trying to go out there and, and get investments, what a lot of people don't, realize is there's a lot of different types of investors who, uh, you know, there's investors that are good for certain genres or certain platforms. And you kind of need to, there's no, I mean, I know you have a great, you know, sort of list of, of uh, you know, contacts and, and, you know, things like that in the industry, but it's tough for people to sift through that and, you know,
getting out early allows you, it's a two-way interview, right? It's not just you trying to convince people to give you money. It's you trying to find the right publisher or the right investor who knows your genre, knows your platform, can really help you, right? And is going to help your business succeed. And, you know, shameless plug, I did just drop the link in our chat here. We do, I mean, we keep a list of, you know, it varies from year to year, 650 to 700 some publishers in the industry. Just go to the powergroupconsulting.com and you can download that thing for free. And that's where you should start. And yeah, there's, there's plenty. And some of these things that you're going to submit, they are not going to be taken but you know it's all about learning and iterating and say okay look we did this and it didn't work and then we tried this and got a little bit of reaction out of it it's nothing that's going to happen overnight but yeah you're right it's like people want to do business with people they know and you know people that they feel comfortable working with all right hold on just just had the heating people show up and that's why i'm tweeting at the side um so Aside from going out, you know, and talking to folks and, and getting out there early, what should they focus on when it comes to the actual pitch? Because I see all kinds of, of, of pitches and some of them, it's like, I just want to like get a hold of the people on the other side and go, what were you thinking when you did this? Because this doesn't solve the question. What do they need to focus on? What are the important parts of that pitch, whether it's to a publisher or an investor? <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm at the end of the day, something that people can put their hands on, right? And um, play with and uh, something that re demonstrates your ability to execute against that core hook, right? That you're coming in with the game. Um, you know, something that, at least from my perspective, I appreciate stuff that's kind of get me straight to the core gameplay hook, right? Um, I don't need to go through a bunch of other stuff that I see in every other game. Um, you know, I don't need to go through a lengthy character creation, you know, you know, go a bunch of character creation stages or, you know, go through a bunch of story or, um, and unless you're a story game, that's, that's different. Uh, you know, but get me straight, get me straight to the, the action, the thing that's really going to hook me, that you told me is your hook. And now I can jump right in and experience it. And it shows like, oh, okay, you know, you, you're able to, you know, you do know what it is you're trying to do. And I can feel, I can get a sense that this actually is going to work. Um, and then be able to craft the story, like all the other stuff that goes with the game, you can talk to around it, right? So be prepared to talk to uh, some of those secondary uh, elements of the game and, Okay, how is your progression going to work? Uh, you know, what, you know, have you thought about monetization? Does your monetization strategy match, you know, the gameplay that you're doing here and, and, and your progression systems? Uh, so those are things I, I kind of look for. And then, you know, it never hurts to have, you don't need to have um, sort of uh, like a, a, you know, ton, a ton of high-end visuals in the demo itself but you should have some sort of uh, sort of hero art uh, or something that shows me, okay, here's what, here's what the game is going to look like. And, and it could just be, you know, a single render or something. Right. Um, but that gives me a sense that, okay, uh, you know, you do know what direction you're going to stylistically and visually with the game um, because that feeds back into, do you really understand your genre and your player and, and all of that? So, 
that's that's kind of it for me. It's it's always a lot, and we can always do like three hour talks on all of this stuff because for every like example, there's other examples where the complete opposite worked, and it's like I love when I get that question. It's like, so what does a good publisher deal look like? It, you have no idea. It looks like the relationship and the deal that gets you both the market and everybody makes money and everybody's happy. But how that structure is completely different. And it's because every situation in this industry is is different. There's not boilerplate ways to do this stuff. So switching gears back to the the consumer facing side, what are some of the things, aside from the brand building, which we know, you know, what are some of the the mistakes, the key things that they need to be thinking about early on when it comes to monetization and building a web presence and all of that other stuff? Where should they be putting that? And you know, where, where do you see people stumbling on that side? Yeah, you know, I think I I firmly believe you can never start thinking about those things too early and. Um, you know, just as important as it is to have a great idea for, for a gameplay hook, uh, I think you need to start thinking about, well, what is the monetization strategy I'm going to use? And uh, because that will inform the types of systems you build, right? And it'll inform, like, what kind of, um, you know, content you need and the resources you're going to need. Uh, so I think, you know, thinking about that stuff early, um, thinking about what kind of hooks you're going to have to help uh, your game, uh, whether it's with, you know, influencers and streamers, like, are you building hooks in there that can make it easier for them to, to you know, show your game? Uh, all of that stuff, you know, you, you really can't think about that too early. I, in my mind, all of that kind of go-to-market stuff, whether it's the business or the, the marketing or the influencer pieces, that's almost another pillar of, of you know, the design that needs to be there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, because if, if, you're, if you're thinking about that stuff halfway through or near the end, it, you can just really get misaligned and it can really break down and, and cause you a lot of issues. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, when it comes to stuff like a web shop or when you're thinking about, okay, I, I want to do some direct to consumer stuff myself, you need it. If, if you're thinking you're just going to put a website up with a, a buy button to buy your game, you're going to fail, right? Like, okay. <laughs> Don't think about it as um, just a, a revenue thing. Think about it as I want to build an online hub that I can really create a sense of community and engagement, uh, you know, for my players, where I can, where players can come, they can learn about the game, they can have a direct relationship with, you know, me, the developer, um, and and they can learn things. You know, they're going to get access to things here that they can't get elsewhere. Uh, and you do all of that right, and then the then you can sell them, right? You're going to have an, you know, the, the point there is create some sort of online hub that keeps people engaged, keeps them coming back, and the longer they're there and the more engaged and, and more connected they feel to you, the more chances you're going to have to, to do some sort of transaction with them. Um, so thinking about it kind of that way instead of, you know, revenue first, but community first and, and the rest of it. So if, if if the developer's thinking about the end user and going directly to consumers first, and they do go and build this stuff, and they have a plan in place for going directly, is that going to hurt them down the line if they start looking for a publisher or an investor? Or is that seen 
as a perk or bonus or how how is that taken later on yeah it's uh, i mean that's a great question if uh look if it's successful enough they won't need a publisher <laughs> right you can certainly leverage pre-orders and, and and things like that to to get early financing for your game um, but no look it it's it's it won't hurt you you know if any publisher worth their salt if you're coming to them with a game that has a pre-established community i mean they're they're gonna they're gonna it's it's a validation point right that this oh there's something here right there's and and there's also different different types like you mentioned this there's different types of deals right um so if you if you've taken the time and built up a community for your game during development uh you can still go to a publisher and maybe maybe it's more of a distribution deal right where mm -hmm. Um, you know, they're more like, okay, they're going to take a smaller piece, but they're going to focus more on scaling what you've already built, right? And more around the messaging and the advertising. Uh, so there's just a lot of ways. And, and honestly, it just gives you more leverage when you go in and it's better off for you. I was like, I, I got started in this industry 25 years ago doing country by country distribution deals for, you know, games back in the olden days when we had to put them in a box and send them <laughs> yeah. somewhere, you know? Yes. Uh, and, and it's... I love the fact that we're almost going back to that now because there isn't a single publisher who does every market around the world really well. If you can get that, you know, base and have that leverage, like you said, you go in and you say, look, we've already got a discord full of 300,000 people and a nice social media presence and, you know, wish list and blah, blah, blah. We basically just need, you know, a company to do distribution and, you know, maybe a little bit of marketing along the way in these territories. And then you can go and pick one for North America and Western Europe and another one for Eastern Europe and one for South America, one for Southeast Asia. You're going to see so much revenue. It's more work to get it up and going, but you're going to see so much revenue, you know, on, on the end. Um, all right. So we are like running up against time here. So now I'm going to ask like the very important question. Um, what tools and services and new cool stuff can we see from Exola, you know, in the next year or so to, to help these developers out? Sure. So um, look at Exola, first and foremost, we, we focus only on the games industry and we're always talking with, with game companies to understand what their needs are keeping a real eye on the trends of the industry. Um, and that's kind of our, our uh, sort of hook, right? And our competitive advantage. So from that, you know, this past year, we, we had this web shop for mobile games, which has been incredibly successful. Uh, so that was something that, that really helped get into the mobile side of the business. And going forward, we, we're looking at a couple of trends. There's obviously Web3. I know it's going through like this horrible phase right now, but but we have created a number of uh, solutions or, or, or products uh, that will enable uh, you to do Web3 commerce, whether it's NFTs or crypto or other things like that. So for companies that are interested in that, you know, that's one avenue. Um, we're also, though, looking at things like, you know, what's going on with the creator uh, community and the creator economy, uh, especially as you, you, you know, you look at, I'm not trying to use buzzwords, it's not a, metaverse but whatever the heck that means to me that all that means is a closer relationship right between creator and player or developer and creator and um so creating more tools that, that help uh, put the power into the creator's hands um 
And then we're also doing some really cool things around uh, just being able to work more closely with super apps and uh, telcos and things like that, really expanding the market uh, out there. Um, and then, you know, we talked about Accelerator, which is really exciting and we're leaning into that more. And yeah, so we're always, we have a bunch of stuff that we're, we're working on. And then we have just our core business as well around the commerce that we're always building up on and making more robust. All right, so you opened the door, and I'm going to have one final question here before we let you go. Uh, How do you see the whole implosion of FTX in the crypto world? Because when the new CEO comes in, and he was the guy that you know, had to clean up Enron's mess years ago. And he says, this is the biggest mess and poor management he's ever seen. Obviously that's a high bar to hit. How do you see that impacting the web three market and and the crypto marketing games, you know, for the next six months to a year? Yeah. You know, I think, look, I think if, if you're thinking of web three as, this is going to be a hook that's going to get me a bunch of financing or it's going to be a quick a get rich quick scheme because I'm going to be able to create overvalued assets, then you're, you're screwed, right? It's just, this is not, that's not the way to approach it. So, you know, I think for people looking to go that road, definitely not, not, not going to be working out too well. Uh, but I think what it, what it is sort of doing is it's, it's kind of flushing out a lot of that and, really forcing, um, not forcing, but leaving behind the people that are looking at the technology and thinking about, okay, how does this relate to gameplay? How does it relate to the player experience? And how is it going to help me create something new and unique? And, you know, I think back to, you know, we've seen these cycles when new technologies come in. You saw it on mobile, right? Where uh, at first, there's a big cohort of people that just try to force uh, an old model, like the previous model onto it, right? Whether it was AAA games onto mobile and, and you know, it's premium content and that didn't work. Uh, um, and they don't take the time to look at the technology and the platform and say, well, what's unique about it? You know, there's the form factor, there's, you know, the benefits it brings to players, there's all these things. And what new stuff can we build around that? Um, that's fun. And, you know, I think that kind of approach is, is the thing that's going to, you know, still succeed in, in the long run. Um, but yeah, it's a scary time for all of that. So my hope is it chases away all the get rich quick kind of, you know, mentality mindsets and, and, and leaves room for the people that are really trying to build, you know, really cool stuff. And it's like I've said from day one, the innovation on that side of the industry is not going to come from EA and Ubisoft and Activision. It's going to come from, you know, an, an indie team doing exactly what you just said. It's like, how does, how can I use this technology to actually make something better versus I'm going to mint a coin and we're going to like make millions and then dump it and be gone. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, just, just one of my own pet things is I think the opportunity to use some of this Web3 tech, whether it's NFTs or, or whatever, uh, to really build a stronger relationship with, with your community and really blur the line even more between player and developer, um, I think there's some real potential there, right? And, and you know, where the, the community becomes part of the, the development and... Uh, there's something powerful there. So yeah, I'm, 
We, we just need some smart people to figure out exactly what that is and, and make it fun. Otherwise, it's, it's not going to matter. So. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and, and taking time out of your busy day. Where can everybody go? I'm going to assume exola.com and find out information on the accelerator and the funding club and the tools and all this other good stuff. Absolutely, Jay. And we're all, we're at all the shows as well. So, you know, you can always find somebody from Exola at, at, at one of the shows worldwide. We've got people everywhere and exola.com XSOLLA is, is the home. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. I guess I'm going to lead us out. Jay. Yes. All right. Thank you all so much. And thank you to Tripwire Presents for sponsoring. And of course, thank you, Exola, for sponsoring us for this extended period of time. If you want to come into our Discord at discord.gg slash indie game business, I think we'll let you. We'll let you come yeah, in there. Yeah. You can come in Once there and hang out with asshole. industry veterans, industry experts. Also, make sure that you are following us and liking us on all of the platforms. Twitch, we're here on LinkedIn. We are here on YouTube. Thank oh, you so much, everybody. We're actually on Mastodon now. I have done nothing with it. I I know nothing about it, but technically indie game business is all Mastodon. I've been seeing a lot of stuff about Mastodon. They're like, it's so slow. And then someone said, well, imagine a million people coming into your little town (laughs) trying to to order a sandwich at the only sandwich shop. That's exactly what's happening. So, yeah. All right, everybody. We will see you next week, I believe. No, not because it's Thanksgiving. Yes, thanks. We're not going to see you for a couple of weeks, but we will. Chris, thank you. Much love to you and Justin and everybody over there at Exola. We truly appreciate everything you've done for us. Likewise, Jay, Dan, thank Um, you. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business